Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Uncommon Life Podcast where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. We have our other host, the one and only Brian Dewhurst. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Dolores, what an amazing intro you gave this this week. Um, We're happy for that. Uh, We have a great show for you today. One of my close friends, Brian and I look up to him immensely. Um, Super successful, serial entrepreneur, uh, rock star. Brian, go ahead and give him a bio. We'll rock this out. I'm going to do it. And I love the fact that he is from Iowa. I do too. Mitch Matthews is a keynote speaker, a success coach, and a best-selling author. His new podcast, Dream, Think, Do, is at the top of the iTunes charts. Mitch has worked with leaders and teams from organizations like NASA, Disney, Booking.com, and the Principal Financial Group. Plus, Mitch speaks on college campuses around the country. He's passionate about helping entrepreneurs and leaders to dream bigger, think better, and do more of the stuff they were put on the planet to do. Mitch has built three successful businesses himself, including one fully automated online training-based business that has helped coaches and speakers around the world. Most importantly, Mitch lives a highly caffeinated lifestyle in Des Moines, Iowa with his wife, Melissa, and their two sons. And for, the, for those animal lovers out there, the Matthews also currently have one dog, one cat with OCD, eight fish, and a snail named Steve Dangerous. Love it. Welcome to the show. What is up, guys? Mr. McMillan. Thanks for taking the time, man. I know you're super busy and everybody and their brother would like you on their podcast, but we really appreciate you taking time with ours. Definitely, well, definitely. I love it. I don't I don't want to be on anybody other brother's podcast than you guys. So this is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So man, we're gonna dive in and hopefully at the end There's of a this lot to cover. It yeah. Hopefully at the end of this, you're gonna have something that your listeners on your podcast will have a different view, a different slant of Mitch Matthews. Right. I always get to ask the questions. Nobody's ever asked me questions. Yes. I love it. This is great. This and is great. We can go four hours, right? Your your podcasts are four hour episodes. Totally. Oh, yeah. Our last one went six so, and a half. All right. Absolutely. I packed a lunch. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So you're sitting there today, but you haven't always been sitting there. Uh, let's just kind of walk through your career path to where you're at today as fast as you can good lord first dream (laughs) job first dream job uh when i was 12 uh because i stalked the local bike shop owner until he wound up breaking and just hiring me it was either hire me or have me arrested for loitering Uh, (laughs) I, i seriously hunted him down i mowed his lawn i swept the alley behind the shop did whatever it took uh and so I got my first dream job basically at 13. We have to say that legally just to make sure, oh, sure. That, you know, things are yeah, about board. Sure. Uh, and then um, we got to stop. Thought, we got to just stop right there. Yeah. Just for a second. So tell me about your parents. Like, how did you instill that kind of work ethic, that type of determination? It's got to be from your parents, right? Uh, my parents are absolutely amazing. They are incredible. And so I think they, I, I actually grew up a really sick kid. I was sick all the time when I was huh. little. 
um, and scared all the time. I was always a worried kid, stressed out, all of that. And um, one of the things that, that helped me break out of some of that was biking. And then I also started with that, started to um, just realize like if I was going to be fearful that I realized somehow, I don't know why like at 12 or 13 that it clicked for me, but um, I realized like I was probably going to be worried and stressed anyway, so why not step into it, mm. right? And so um, it's that kind of thing that I would be a worried and stressed kid, but I'd still have these amazing experiences because I just was like a dog to a bone. Like, yeah, I'm going to feel the fear, but I'm going to do it anyway. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. And I, I lived in, you know, Newton, um, Newton, Iowa and a small little town. Maytag. So it, it was that, it was that postcard kind of town with a square, uh, you know, with a courthouse in the middle of it and, and shops and all of those things. Now the bike shop was a hole in the wall building two blocks off the square. Goodwill was next to it. Strip club was behind it. It was Ooh, yeah. paradise. It was paradise in a small town. <laughs> but I could ride my bike, you know, my Schwinn Tornado and then my Schwinn Traveler 3 up to the bike shop unaccompanied. And, you know, I could be, you know, moving around town all day long. My parents would just say be home for supper. Um, and so I did that. And um, so that's, you know, I kind of, I grew up this scared little kid, but at the same time, I just pushed through it. And, wow. and it. So, Yeah. Very cool. Great show. Yeah. Pretty much all you can think. Oh, man. That's right. So I'm, I'm a walking, talking dichotomy. So yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, wound up getting that. And then interestingly enough, uh, and I always say, you know, dream jobs, as you achieve them, there's always a back door, a hidden back door that you can only find after you've achieved the dream job. And that, that started at an early age for me. So uh, I get the job 12, 13, and then uh, my boss, Marty Doan, um, I'll be forever indebted to him, uh, took me to a Schwinn sales school at 14. So it's wow. me and a bunch of middle-aged bike shop owners. So I'm 14, got zits, you know, <laughs> my voice is cracking, all that stuff. And he takes me to this uh, Schwinn selling school. And this guy walks in the room and starts teaching us how to sell. And it was unlike any other teaching I'd ever had before. Like I'd been in school my whole life at that point, right? I'm yeah. 14, but I'm like, what is this job? What does <laughs> this guy do? Like, how do I do that? How do, how do I do that, right? Like I'm not learning math. I'm learning how to move people and how to, how to build trust and how to connect. I'm like, I'm all about this. And so I came home with a new dream job, figuring out what the heck that guy did and figure out how to do it. And, um, I, you know, again, I would have never found it had I not had that first dream job of working at the bike shop. So my dream job shifted from wanting to own a bike shop to going and doing somehow what that guy was doing. And so, uh, went on, um, spent a little time in England in there too, but, uh, went on to launch my first company when I was, uh, 20 and, uh, 1920, um, started to do sales seminars for small companies, small shops, kind of like the bike shop that I was in realizing they couldn't afford to take all their people to a sales school. So I could hire my friends to be fake shoppers and I could teach them a couple hours on sales and those kinds of things. Um, then went into the corporate world, um, went into sales, um, went into pharmaceutical sales. And actually that was, that was an interesting trajectory because I yeah. knew that eventually I wanted to, to have my own business. I wanted to be a speaker, a trainer, all of those things, but got into the pharmaceutical world. So I sold drugs legally, which is- So did you, did you know that vision going into the, the whole uh, big company, big pharma? Did you know that this was a training ground or did you just like, I guess this is it. Let's go. Uh, so I started with that vision in mind. 
right? Okay. Like I thought if uh, this would be a great place to cut my teeth, I knew that to have the kind of organization to do the kind of talks that I wanted to do, I wasn't going to be able to come out of college and tell CEOs what to do, right? Yeah. I wasn't going to be able to come out of college and tell seasoned salespeople what to do. So I needed to go get experience somewhere. So I went into the pharmaceutical industry because that, especially at that time, that was the brass ring for sales. Uh, right. You know, it was, it was yeah, a it was. highly technical sale. It was a lot of fun. It was relationships. It was, I was well compensated, all of those things. So when I first got into the industry, and I always talk about this, it was a great fit job that gradually became a very bad fit job. And maybe you guys have had this experience where, uh, you know, it starts out great fit, you change, the industry changes, all of that. And I never meant to stay there, but towards the end of my run in the pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, a decade later, uh, a part of my soul was dark, right? I was starting uh -huh. to die every day that I went to work. I had lost, lost the vision entirely. Wow. You know, I'd become a sitcom life, which is the single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. So I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> um, the golden handcuffs. Right? Gotcha. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had the car, had the laptop. I should not complain because everything was good in my life. Yep. All of things, but a part of my soul was just dying. Mm. Um, and so I, my, I, I had a, a, a talk behind the woodshed. Literally my wife sat me down on a Sunday night, you know, those that I was getting the Sunday night blues, heart palpitations. Cause I didn't want to go to work the next wow. day, all of those things. And she sat me down and she's like, listen, we got to do something. We got to do something cause I'm losing you. She knew I wasn't going anywhere, right? Wow. I married up, man. I'd be a crazy man to leave. But like she knew that she, like the, the spark in me was dying. Yeah. And let me, like, let me, I don't let me, know. Let me yeah. dive into that because. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> poor Brian. He, he never gets to answer the question. The like, I'm so sorry. You share yeah. the, you the, the, the microphone. What are you doing, right? <laughs> you share the farm of blood. I don't know if you we guys do. Yeah. When oh, did you meet your wife in all this? Was it when you were in the pharmaceutical world? Was it before? No, no. We met in college. So my plan, okay. you guys are, uh, you know, big fans of, of life plans and visions to getting clarity. My life plan was to not get married till I was 40. Okay. Right? Not, I'm not getting married because I wanted to travel the world. You got I stuff to do. I, you know, all of that stuff, right? Like, and then I yeah. meet my wife at UNI. Yep. It's like game over. Yep. I'm done. Got to put well, a ring on it. You. Yeah. Gotta put a ring on it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it's like, go. if she's going to date me, holy cow, <laughs> like I better close this deal. Like I knew enough about sales. Like, <laughs> <laughs> close the deal, right. So um, it was, uh, I, I lived there. I graduated from high school, but I wasn't ready for college really. And I was ready for an adventure and I'm weird. And I, I'd always, this sounds weird, but I'd always wanted to take an American history class in England. Like, I'm always curious about people, but that yeah. was one of the things that got in my head. Like, I want to take an American history class in England. Like, that, that would be really interesting, right? That is interesting, yeah. So, I went and lived in England for a year. And when I came back, then I went to University of Northern Iowa. And uh, a couple of years into that, met my, met my wife, uh, you know, didn't even think I'd be able to date her, but we had a class together, all of that. I actually committed to going back to England again, but then we started a date. Then she actually came over and saw me while I was in England, and I realized traveling with her was way better than <laughs> traveling by myself. So I came back. The day after I came back, I proposed, and we were married in a year. Wow. Yep. Wow. Okay, so she, we're back to the woodshed. Right, Sunday right. Yep. So now, like, I mean, this, by this point, 
uh, you know, we'd had a lot of adventures together. Uh, you know, we were, I'm just, again, I'm married up, so I'm wildly blessed, but like we'd gone through cancer. She'd had cancer. Wow. Wow. Uh, we'd had a lot of, a lot of, uh, challenges, probably more than most people at that age and at that, that place in your marriage. Uh, but she, you know, she sat me down and she's like, listen, I can tell, like, you're just, there's that spark. It's going out. Mm-hmm. And she knew just like I did, she knew our financial situation. We had chose to live a life where, uh, you know, to make as much money before we had kids as we could. And then we said it was a race. So whoever was making more at the time we had our first child, they would continue working and the other would stay home. And I was fully committed to stay at home if I, and I don't know whether I won the race or lost the race, but I was making more. And so, so I stayed working and she stayed home. So she knew that what she was, she wasn't saying just quit your job, right? She knew our financial situation, but she kind of gave me that permission to say, you may not know what it is yet, but let's experiment until we find it. Wow. And and it's amazing. And so, and that's what I wound up doing. I wound up rekindling that, that dream that started way back when I was 14. Uh, but I actually went and got some coach training. I didn't quit my job, but I started some stuff on the side and built it. You know, what's now known as the side hustle just back then was just long days, right? Um, yeah. And I, we <laughs> didn't have a sexy term for it. It's just long days. Gary uh, V glorified I that. On the side and, and set some goals for myself. I called it my leap number that if I hit a certain amount of income three months in a row with my business, my side business, If I could do that, I wasn't completely replacing my income, but if I could do that three months in a row, basically 35% of my income three months in a row, then I knew I had my systems in place that if I was able to devote 100% of the time, then I'd probably be able to make up more than what I was making in the pharmaceutical industry. So that was the goal, set the leap number, thought it was going to be five years. It happened in less than a year (laughs) and I've been doing it ever since. Okay. So So, let's talk about that because some of our listeners don't know you. The people who right, are right. tuned in for you know Lucky you. Lucky them, right? Lucky <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. They're going to know you real quick. So what do you do now? Like, tell me about Mitch Matthews. Right. Uh, so it's probably best to just describe. So my podcast is called Dream, Think, Do. And I love to help people dream bigger, think better, and do more of what they were put on the planet to do. I feel like in some ways that's what God put me on the planet to do. And now I've got a job that helps me to do that. So the way that that works is one-on-one. I offer uh, executive and success coaching. I work with a high tier, high level client on that side. And then with large groups, I do speaking uh, within organizations, conferences on college campuses um, under those topics of doing, you know, dreaming bigger, thinking better and doing more. So a lot of, a lot of the training involves innovation, engagement, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, leadership, those kinds of things. But it's exciting. It's a weird day job, but I love it. So when you're doing pharmaceuticals and you're doing this on the side or the long days, what was like the first way you got paid on the side? What was that main thing you were doing? Sure, absolutely. So it started for me because one of the things that I had to do if I was going to build something on the side, I had to find something that worked within my schedule. And I know a lot of the people that you work with look for different ways to diversify their income and all of those things. So for me, what I found was I wanted to speak, uh, but the challenge that I had was that I had to find something that would work within my typical day. Because I did, since I wasn't going to quit, I also knew, you know, talked about my parents being amazing. They, they put a deep, deep discipline in me that if I'm getting paid by somebody, I'm going to give them all of it. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, like what I commit to, I'm going to deliver, right? So I knew that I couldn't just kind of mail so, in my job, like, and kind of quit without quitting. So I, I knew that I had to give my best eight to five. So I had to find something that would allow me to do it on the side. And so what I found was the easiest and best fit for me was to start coaching. Um, and I did basically started to do executive or life coaching is probably more of a better description of what I was doing gotcha. at the time. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it was one of those things that I was helping people figure out what they wanted to do and do more of that. And it was while I was also trying to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. And I would tell people straight up, like, listen, someday I'm going to charge a lot of money <laughs> to do this. But right now you're getting an exceedingly good deal because I'll admit I'm learning as I go and I can guarantee we're going to help you, but you know, until we get there. So now I work, I tend to work with, you know, executives, high level entrepreneurs, all of that, helping them figure out the next phase. But back then it was really just helping people figure out what they were put on the planet to do. So I want to, you're a great guest because I think you've pivoted in a lot of ways, but it's all around kind of this gifting and uh, another guy uh, on our show called it vocation. Yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying like, this is what God's brought you and called you to do. And so I want to help with the listeners, how you built income around this kind of right. superpower that you have for this great point gifting. And so kind of the first channel, it seems like it was coaching, which was really kind of like more of a traditional business, which we would impact like on the seven sources of residual income. Right. You're, that was kind of your traditional business platform. And then from yeah. there you started adding on. And then I, from there I started to add on, then I added speaking. Uh, And I did some consulting, but a lot of speaking uh, because especially once then I was doing it full time, that gave me a lot more flexibility. And, uh, you know, with speaking, I wanted to be able to travel with it. I wanted to be able to commit. I really wanted to be also able to broadcast, you know, and and shout it from the rooftops and the mountaintops that this is what I was doing. And with the coaching, I went into it. um, Basically, I I said, I'm going to be completely transparent. So I told my manager, some people told me not to, but I told my manager within the pharmaceutical industry, I said, listen, I'm going to give you everything. You're not going to see an impact on my work, but I am doing this thing on the side. And it's because I have a passion for it. I'm good at it. And someday, yes, I want to build a business doing it, but I, I think it's going to be five years out. And interestingly enough, he was a good guy. But interestingly enough, he kind of leaned in and said, take me with you when you go. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, I yeah. love that idea. I don't have enough guts to do it myself, but thank you for telling me. And by the way, will you coach somebody in our district? I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That's fine. You know, and all that. So I just found that for me, I wanted to be authentic in my coaching. Mm-hmm. And I found that if I couldn't be authentic in, in every aspect of my life, I was screwed, right? So I knew that I had to do that. So yes, so then I added, once I was able to hit the leap number, go into it full time, then I added the speaking. And then what was interesting was I started to, to, to notice, you know, because just like you guys talk about, you know, helping people figure out how do you build businesses? How do you do that thing? You know, I always say, hey, you know, what are people asking you for your advice on? Right. Mm, And how does that come in? And one of the things that started to happen as my business grew, my coaching and speaking grew where I had coaches and speakers coming out of the woodwork saying, Hey, can I have coffee? Can I pick your brain? Can I learn this? Can I do that? And all that. And, and that's great. It's an honor, but at, at the same time, it was really zapping my time and my energy and all of that. So the next thing I started to do was do, yeah, I started to do, uh, just boutique training for coaches and speakers where I take six people through three days of intensive. And that was awesome. And I charged them a lot of money. But then I started to realize, like, I love doing that training. But if I was really going to have an impact, then I needed to take that training online. So a good friend of mine who had also been through the training said, 
we got to take this online. I said, I agree, but I don't know how to do it. And he said, I'll do that. I'll figure that out for you, all that stuff. So we wound up taking that coach training and speaker training online. And that's really where things started to really bust loose because that's when we could start to impact everybody, uh, you know, anywhere around the world, but I could also do it while I was sleeping or while I was on a plane or all of those things too. So, uh, that, that got real exciting too. Well, this really resonates with Brian and I, because that's honestly where we are. Like we need to start doing something a little bit smarter because we're getting too many people calling us trying to get personal plans. We got to somehow streamline this. Well, yeah. And I know you and I, Philip, you and I talked about that a little bit. And one of the things I found too, is that, you you know, you guys, you have hearts the size of Texas, right? You want to help everybody on the planet. But one of the things that I found, and I think you get, this will resonate with you guys. When I would do those, just have coffee with somebody or sit down with somebody for free, they'd appreciate it, but they wouldn't apply it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't mm-hmm. want to see, I, I appreciate the appreciation, but I don't want to take the time unless you're going to apply it. Right. Yeah. But if people pay for it, they're going to take it a lot more serious. Right. They're, they're going to be more all in. And so that's, that's what I found was it was actually, you know, twice as satisfying because once, you know, one, I was getting paid and my family, you know, we have two teenage boys now. They like to eat, yeah, right? They appreciate gotta... a roof over their head for some reason, right? So, you know, I appreciated that we were getting paid, but also I just saw people taking it a lot more serious and actually running with the information um, because they had to commit and have some skin in the game. And so mm-hmm. that was something else. And what's amazing about the world of online training is, you know, now, especially is with the podcast that I do and all of that, I'm coming across people all the time that are making seven figures in online training and you don't know them. They, right. you know, they don't have a household. It's not Tony Robbins. It's not, not Gary Vaynerchuk. It's, it's guys you've never heard of. Like I just got, somebody just reached out to me. He's making seven figures legitimately, not like yeah, okay, yeah. right. But like legitimately has a solid business. I know a couple of people that know him well, all of that. He's got 300 followers on Twitter, right? Wow. Like, usually it, 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 it's a different world because you, especially if you can figure out what that superpower is, as you guys talk about, what that, that superpower is to be able to provide information. And then I always say sequence creates value, right? Mm-hmm. So you can bombard people with information. But if you can put it into a sequence that helps them apply it, Hmm. that creates value. And so that's one of the things I I work with a lot of people now and helping them kind of make this transition. But one of the things I talk about is you can put all sorts of information out there for free, but when you put it into your training, the key difference, like you can, like you can find a lot of the stuff that we cover in a thousand dollar course. I talk about my podcast. I talk about on my blog. I talk about a lot of different areas, but in the training, it's put together in a very specific, very intentional order so that it can be applied. And that's why I feel bold, right? And confident in being able to charge $1,000 for the training where maybe 70, 80% of that content is out there free, right? But the the, the training gets in the sequence and helps people pull it through. That's wonderful. I want to go back because I think there's a lot of clients that we meet or future clients that are in this boat of like, I hate my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, pretty successful though. I'm making right. six figures at it. So they're kind of in the golden handcuffs as I call it um, yep. position. So this is my question. What are some common traits that you saw in people in their journeys that are finding their and creating their dream job? Like what are the common traits that you're seeing? 
Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I did the, I, my most recent book's called Dream Job Redefined. And I did 200 plus interviews and coaching sessions with people that had either created or found dream jobs. And what I wanted to do was like find those common traits, just like you're talking about. Like, Wonderful. all right, what are the, what are those things? And one of the things that I found that was really interesting, um, because, uh, you know, people ask like, who was the book written for? Is it written for people that are unemployed or have been out of work for a while? Yeah. It's like those people can benefit from the book, but it's more for the rock stars who are just like you're saying to the outside world, they look successful as all get out, but inside they're kind of like I was in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, Help. good job, bad fit, you know, yeah. so their mm -hmm. heart's dying. Right. And they maybe even feel bad about saying that. Mm -hmm. Right. They look around, everybody's looking at them. They've got the status or they've got the success, but they just know it's not right. Or at least they see that on the horizon. Right. But sure. they don't know. They might, they're on the road that's brought them the success, but they're not sure which offering up to take. They just know they can't stay on there much longer. And so one of the things that I found was that uh, the people that had created or found dream jobs, most often they'd given themselves permission to experiment. Ooh. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think we all now we live in an era where everybody forces themselves to go pro too early. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we all grew up in, in smaller towns, whatever. So it's like, I don't know about you, but I was not an athlete, but I had to go out for every sport in Newton because they needed head count, right? Yeah. Like Matthews, go out for <laughs> basketball. It's like, are you kidding? Is that the orange round one? Like what? No. Right. But I, they needed me. And so we went out for spirits. every sport, right? Every yeah. sport. And I didn't like any sport, right? But it was needed. And so I had all these great experiences. But now, you know, a kid looks like they can play soccer in first grade, man. That kid, I'm, I'm, he's all the way. He's going NCAA, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Scholarship. So we're going to do all the rounds, all the year-round you know, year leagues and soccer camps and all that stuff. And so we force them to go pro too early. Now, you know, you maybe do that with your kid and that's just fine, whatever. We don't. Hopefully they make big scholarships with their, you know, <laughs> soccer playing or whatever. But I think what we wind up doing, that, that mentality happens with us as in the workplace as well. And kind of that we never give ourselves permission to go and experiment Mm -hmm. on a class or, mm -hmm. or take something totally unrelated to our field because we don't know quite whether we'd be able to apply it. We don't know if that would turn into a job. We don't know if that would be uh, a good fit. We don't know if we'd make a fool of ourselves if we're in an arts and crafts kind of class or whatever. But the people that I found that were happiest, that had found positions, in most cases, almost at least half, at least half of the people admitted to not knowing the job they were in even existed mm -hmm. when they started their journey. And wow. the only way they found it was through experimenting. And so it's that whole thing of giving yourself the chance to what I, I you know, I, I love sprints, right? I look, work with a lot of tech companies and that kind of thing. They always talk about one month sprints or two, two week sprints or whatever, where there's just hyper focus on one thing. And I always say, give yourself the experiment to do a one month experiment. Mm-hmm. Take a sprint, do something, just even, maybe you're not even thinking about changing jobs, but give yourself the chance to take a class you'd never take before. You we know, just or stop learning. Try something. You know? Right, exactly yeah. right. And I it, think, you never know what's going to spark. I think the other side of that coin, I, I totally appreciate the word experiment. I think the other side of that coin though too is like, and I don't want to like people down, but just that kind of the, uh, the great depression mindset. Like everybody's right. so keyed on it's a success or it's a failure instead of like a stepping stone or a learning experience right. or, you know, a foundation and, and that fear mindset are like, Oh, I failed at that. I better stop. That hurt. Like we were talking about that last night in a group meeting we had and um, you know, 
the Japanese, um, they plan to fail or like not turn a profit in their business for seven years mm. and you got to keep going. And it's like, everybody wants to put that toe in the water mm-hmm. and then get all the reward. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. And, um, interestingly, we were talking about bigger pockets, which is a big real estate, uh, blog. I think they have a podcast too. And, uh, 90% of their subscribers don't own real estate uh, to generate hmm. re- uh, rental income. Wow. So I think that's really, I think you're in a unique situation with where you've built, you know, your business, your brand, your passion is like, you're helping people like, Hey, I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to get through this, but you got to do the work. Right. You know, you got to press into it. Like when you were a kid, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny. I mean, you bring up, you know, experimenting, resonating. It's it's dream, think, do. My hope is it's catchy, right? Like you can remember it. But dream, think, do is actually I ripped it off of of uh, the scientific method. Um, it's just a jazzy way to describe the scientific method. You know, like the scientific method. Uh, you know, a, a scientist goes into the lab and says, all right, what do I want to prove or disprove today? Right. And then yeah. they start to build a hypothesis of. And if you look up hypothesis in the dictionary. The definition for hypothesis is a best guess, a well-educated guess. And I love that because that's most plans, right? It's just a best guess. And then they start to experiment. And to your point, if an experiment doesn't go the way they thought, that doesn't mean it's a failure. Mm -hmm. It means it's learning. You're learning. So you adjust, you adapt, and then you reapply, right? Mm -hmm. And so dream, think, do, I believe, you know, it's, it's that it's a cycle. It's a process of I always say you dream first and that's, you know, the scientist saying, what am I going to prove or disprove? But I always say, do that in isolation first. Don't start thinking too early because if you start thinking too early, you only have incremental dreaming. Incremental Mm. dreaming sucks. Incremental dreaming (laughs) doesn't anywhere, right? So dreaming first and and it, it can be from a business standpoint, a life standpoint, a relationship standpoint then to move into thinking mode. And that's where you create a hypothesis, a best guess. And mm. then you start to experiment. And you can do that within your jobs, but I think you can also do that with life and to be able to say, all right, what's, what's something I think I might enjoy? Yeah. What's, thing, what's something I think I might uh, be good at? And why not try it, right? Um, yeah. and, and I always say, you know, successful people, the problem with successful people is we, we tend to not have a lot of spare time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, although... I don't know about you, but I, I pretty familiar with Netflix, but it's that old thing of, right. It's that old thing of, of being able to say, I always say, start, don't start with life changing experiments. Start with 15 minute experiments. Totally. Right. And we're going to be able to just give yourself that 15 minute increment. Because if you do 15 minutes a day, five days a week, doesn't seem like much, but over the course of a year, it's 62 hours. That's a long time. It's yeah, a lot. I think for Brian and I, we just geek out on watching people's gears turn when we start talking about what are you passionate about? What have you always wanted to do? Right. Asking some probing questions and then giving them permission to think through that. Not right. only think through that, but like, let us show you how your finances could also match your dream. And that gets really sombering really quick. And then all of a sudden our meeting's two hours long because all these people just keep talking and thinking and, and dreaming. And then at the end, you know, Brian and I'll ask him like, well, how long have we been meeting? Well, 45 minutes. No, it's been two hours. Right. You're actually passionate about it. Exactly. How you can fund that, what you're doing. And I'm telling you, once you get to that other side of the bridge, you're going to have more money and more funds to do it. And you're going to love your life. Well, that's absolutely mind shift. Well, you guys will appreciate this too, because one of the other big findings that, that came out of all the interviews, and this is why we call it a dream job redefined, because some people, when I, when I say a dream job, 
what I mean, a dream job, and this is where we came up with it. Basically, a dream job is either work that you love to do or work that allows you to do something you love to do. Mm. So about half of the people were in jobs they absolutely adored, like they loved it, right? And it doesn't mean that it's perfect, it doesn't mean they weren't working hard, it doesn't mean there wasn't some suck factor in there, right? It, it, yeah. But it, it yeah. means they really enjoy the work. But about half of them were in jobs that allowed them to do something outside of work that they love to do. And therefore they appreciated their job even more. So I had one guy who was an extreme swimmer, right? Corporate attorney, really good at his job. Very, I mean, very, very successful. But one of the main reasons he loved his job is it allowed him to swim all over the world in, in like crazy, amazing type swimming environments I'd never, never wanted yeah. to do, right? Yeah. Um, and, but, but he can sit in the most mundane of meetings with the biggest smile on his face because he knew what that job allowed him to do. Yeah. Other people started nonprofits, were able to volunteer, all of that. And, and it was able to take a job that maybe was a bad fit, but they could appreciate it. They could yes. move into gratitude for it and, and really kind of put it in its place and, and not necessarily zone out and phone it in, but to engage fully and be good at it because they knew what it also afforded them. You're so, absolutely right. Because I would say when we start doing a clear plan for some of our clients, they understand that their job could be the part or part of the puzzle that gets them to what they truly want yep. in the future. And so they start being very intentional and they actually like, hey, this isn't that bad because they know that it's feeding their dream and they're seeing progress going towards that. Yep. Um, so totally. What resonate. are the, what are like the three, I mean, you meet with a lot of people. What are the three main like roadblocks that most people throw out there to you? You know, when you're like, Oh, I can't do this. Right. Uh, time, money, expectations. So it's, uh, and those, those generally are what I call presenting symptoms. Right. So, you, mm -hmm. Philip, you know, from your time in the medical world, right, there's mm -hmm. always the presenting symptom. The presenting symptom is the thing people feel confident telling the receptionist at the doctor's office. I have an itch. There's a rash. <laughs> right. Or, or there's a bump. Right. And yeah. I'm telling a reception of this and I feel comfortable maybe telling the nurse this. But then once the doctor comes in the room, then you're like, OK, now we can really talk. There is a rash, but there's also this other thing that I'm yeah. going to talk with you about. Right. So the presenting symptom generally is time, money or expectations. So time, it's like, oh, my, I'm so busy. I wouldn't have time to look for anything else. I'm so busy. I don't have time mm -hmm. to think about my finances. Or I, I, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, things are so tight. The thought of investing or the thought of, of sure. doing some additional training or whatever, it, you know, fill in the blanks or expectations. Like, what would my parents think? What would my kids think? Yeah. What would my wife think? What would my husband think? What would those people, you know, that work for me think? Mm. If I go and do this, or if I take a class and all of a sudden, you know, here I am the leader of the company and now I'm in a class where I'm learning from somebody else. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things. So those are all presenting symptoms, but uh, you know, you guys know this, the, the most important thing is to get some clarity on what they might want to do, um, what they might be passionate about, and then to figure out the why, like, why is that important now? Yes. Right? For some people, their why isn't strong enough. And that's okay, right? To be able to say, you know what? You know, your why isn't that strong? And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It might just mean it's the wrong season yeah. for that dream or right. that goal, right? And that's not wrong. Like, I talk about that all the time. So just so you guys know, like one of my big dreams someday is to have an Akita 
dog. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Akitas, but they're like a 150-pound dog. They're like a horse in a dog costume. <laughs> and you can they're ride them with the saddle? They're beautiful. They're huge. They're amazing. They're loyal. They're kind of dumb. I like that, right? Like, that's awesome. But it makes zero sense for me to have a 150-pound dog. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a bad dream. That doesn't mean that I'm stupid for having that dream. It just means it's the wrong season mm, for that dream. dream. Right. And so to be able to say, cause so, sometimes that's, what's important too, is to realize like, okay, it's not the right season. That's why I love what you guys do because you help people get clear on what they want. And sometimes what totally. they want should happen in this season. Sometimes what they want, no, it's not the right season. Doesn't mean it's a bad mm -hmm. dream. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's a bad goal. It just means it's the wrong season. Now let's plan for that season. Let's get ready for that season. And that's, yep. that's what I love to help people do too. Let's prepare. Okay. So we know a little bit more about you than the average person, but we know that you are in a mastermind group and you haven't been in that mastermind group for two years. It's been right. more like how many years? A decade. Yeah. A decade plus. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. So tell us how instrumental that has been in your growth of your company and the growth in you personally. Um, just walk us through the mastermind. Sure. So you guys have probably talked about mastermind, masterminds before. Your audience is savvy, so they probably know. I mean, the mastermind concept kind of was first coined by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. So the idea is a, a group of people meeting with intentionality on a regular basis. Um, and so back when I was first getting started, I was first, first entrepreneur in my family. So, uh, you know, both my parents had college degrees, well-educated, all of that. But not a lot of not a lot of entrepreneurial blood necessarily. So sure. that was new for me, um, all of that. So I knew that I needed to start to hang out with entrepreneurs, but I very quickly figured out that I shouldn't hang out with all entrepreneurs. <laughs> you know, it's just into that. any other people group. It's like, woo, there's some jackweeds up in there. So to be able to say, um, all right, who do I want to surround myself with? And at about that same time, two guys, Drew McClellan and Adam Carroll, uh, were thinking the same thing. I knew Adam real well. I didn't know Drew all that well. Uh, but it's one of those that we started to float this idea around and we started to experiment with meeting on a regular basis. And what that meant was getting together for a three hour period, which was a huge time commitment for all of us. Yep. But basically we ate together, broke bread together, laughed together, poked fun at each other, found out about family life, all of those things. And then for about two and a half hours, we got up in each other's business. And that meant life goals, business goals, uh, aspirations to be able to say, how can we help you? What are you doing? What's in your blind spot? All of that. And, uh, you know, you know, these meetings, they're like equal parts, hilarity, fun, and they're horrifying too, because Drew, yeah, if you guys, you guys know Drew well, but Drew's got the look. Right. And it's almost <laughs> like for you guys who don't know Drew McClellany, he's one of the most brilliant business minds ever, but he has this Clint Eastwood kind of look. And when you get the look, it's almost <laughs> like you hear the, the racking of a shotgun, like, oh crap. Right. <laughs> Drew, Drew will let you know, not, he will not be Ooh, mean about it. That's not the way you want to go. Clear. He will be ultra clear on, on what exactly he sees wrong with it. And, and again, it's usually, he's exactly right. And it's exactly what you need to hear. You just are like, no, be gentle, kind sir. You know, yeah. so it's, and Adam is just brilliant too. So I, I feel wildly blessed. And, and I can tell you that it really is this, this combination of equal parts, encouragement, wisdom, offers of support, prayer. Like we pray yeah. for each other. Like these guys love my family a ton. I love their families a ton. So, you know, we'll be talking about business plans and then be like, wait, how much are you getting home? 
Are you mm-hmm. at home? Are you, mm-hmm. are you hitting your goals there? You know, it's like everything, everything mm-hmm. is game. Everything is free. Now, um, that took a lot of practice. That took a lot of experimenting. We're far from perfect. Uh, we actually had an additional person in the group who I love, adore, but it was not for him. And so he wound up not continuing on. And, and we had that agreement. Basically, when we started every six months, there was an opt-out clause. No harm, no foul. If you need it out, you can get out. Yeah, uh, I think this is important just for yeah. our listeners because community and surrounding yourself with people that one, know, like, and love you um, is powerful. Just because when they tell you you have a booger hanging out your nose, it's not fun for them either. Right. But, right. you know, if you're going to go ask the prettiest girl in the room and you have a booger in your room, like, uh, that's my obligation to tell yeah, you. Right. Exactly. Hey, hey booger. Yeah. <laughs> Run. Um, so that was good. I just wanted to quick kind of just touch on that just for our listeners because I know how important and impactful can that's I, in your life. Can I jump in here? I guess. All yes. right. Thanks, sir. Ryan. Anyone? Anyone? Yes, anyone? Ryan. <laughs> so I think you kind of hit on it with your own journey. But we've got a lot of people that, like Philip said, they're not happy in their day job, but they're mm-hmm. married. Yep. And their spouse probably senses it. But I think, too, on the flip side, like going the entrepreneurial route, and you touched on this other part too, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate. I was in this boat. Both my parents were not entrepreneurs, very mm-hmm. risk averse, very fear, fear mindset, like super hardworking, amazing, ethical, awesome people. Yep. But that, you know, in that starting a business, it, it's just a different mindset. And so how do you keep like a successful family? How do you coach people to balance that work life as they're making this transition from that steady paycheck to like, I think I want to do this. Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I just had a a good friend of mine, a guy named Travis Ensley, very, very successful uh, executive within the tech world. And what I loved, I asked him the work-life balance question and he goes, work-life balance is such a fallacy. And I'm like, bring it brother. What are you talking about? He goes, it's all life. Mm -hmm. All of it is life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and, and sometimes it's going to feel balanced. Sometimes it's not. And so you do your best, but work, family, spiritual, all of it is life. And he's like, mm-hmm. you got to go after it like a pie and to be able to, it's all in there. It's all in the mix. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's, that's good. So, you know, for me, it, you know, it, family is hugely important. It's it, being a dad is my favorite role on the planet. Being a husband. I love it. Again, I'm g- wildly grateful because I did marry up and she's still convinced it's a good thing. So I'm staying with it. It's awesome. Nailed right. It. So it's a, <laughs> right. Like again, I'm in sales, baby. Right. <laughs> um, so it's that, uh, so I know, and for my, a lot of my coaching clients, that's the reason why we're talking. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, the successful people will come to me and say, listen, I know I've me- needed to make a change for a long time, but the thing that scares them the most is, missing out on the last three years of their kid's high school or mm-hmm. the thing that that's miss, they're, that they're worried about is that I think I'm teaching my kid that work sucks and mm-hmm. they should never hope for anything better. I've got to find something like one of my favorite absolute best, uh, you know, feedback from a, from a coaching client once was she got on the phone and she was actually in tears. And I'm like, what's going on? She goes, I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, well, what's that? She's a very successful executive. And she's like, my nine-year-old daughter last night when I got home said, mom, what are you doing? And she said, well, what do you mean? She said, mom, you just seem happy. You wow. haven't seemed happy in a long time. You seem happy. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, you know, so that's, it, it, it is, it's one of those things, whether you're an entrepreneur, a leader, a globe changer, whatever it is, 
whether it's family, maybe you've got family, maybe you've got kids, uh, you know, marriage, or you've just got relationships, friendships, mm-hmm. um, that's key to who we are. So we have to take care of that side of us too. And there are going to be seasons. I, I'm a big believer in, in paying attention to seasons. That's why I love living in Iowa, right? Like we got dramatic You're going to get them. Seasons. You're going to get them. Dramatic seasons. Whereas, you know, we were just in California. They don't really have seasons. They don't. Oh, lame. Again, right? Lame. California's like, lame. <laughs> <laughs> I love California. Don't get me wrong. But it's that old thing of like seasons. So I know like there are times where my family has seen me sprint. Like I, my busy speaking season kind of is in line with the school year. So my boys know that that's dad's sprint, but they also know they're probably going to go on at least one trip with me. Right. And, and they also learn like they've learned to work hard by going along, by being a part of it, by us talking about it, all of those mm-hmm. things. So I always say it starts by getting clear on your goals it starts by also talking through your goals and dreams together, whoever your together is, whether it's your immediate family, whether it's friendships, whatever, to be able to say, all right, these are my goals. And then to be able to say, how do we achieve those, especially in the family, how do we achieve those together? Very early on, we said to our boys, like one of the things I said to them, and I didn't know if they were going to like lame, but I yeah. said, I'd love for you guys to go on at least one trip with me a year. And I said, just, you'll look at the schedule, the speaking schedule and pick one. And they, they loved it. Wow. I mean, and it's so cool. Like our older son was always captivated by the military. I got asked to go speak at Fort Benning. And I asked uh, basically the powers that be, could I bring my son? They got him in a day's worth of Green Beret training. He got to do oh, all sorts wow. of like virtual reality stuff. I got dad of the year. Woo-hoo! Right. And then, uh, you know, uh, our younger son saw that I was going to New York. He's like, I want that trip. So we went to New York and, um, you know, that's kind of the glamorous side, but they also take, you know, more sure. boring trips too, but it's that whole thing. They see, they see what we do and, and it, it's rubbed off on them. They don't want to do what I do, but there are aspects of what I do that you can see in what they want to do now. And, and it's that whole thing. They're broken to just have a normal job because yeah. they've never known any different. They're that's unemployable. Awesome. They're unemployable and you they help are, them get there. I love are. it. I mean, they'll yeah. be, they'll be incredible what they do, but it's, it's one of those that, you know, they're kind of funny. They grew up in an entrepreneurial house. So like sometimes people would come home and say, well, we got to get $250 for this trip. And our boys would come home and say, well, I need to find a way to make 250 bucks. Like, yes. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. I got a question. What yeah. are some steps that you would suggest the people uh, in order to find or create their own like amazing jobs? Sure. Well, I think it relates back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier to, to be able to say, um, don't start by saying, I'm going to figure out what that is first. Start by saying, what are some small experiments that I could do today? Good. What are some, what are some experiments? Don't, and, and here's the thing. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I don't know if you guys deal with this or not, uh-huh. but Brian I'm a recovering does. perfectionist. So, <laughs> Sorry, Brian. But it's that whole thing of like, Bus. when I would Wonder. start this process myself, you know, there was a part of me that would say, well... Uh, once I can go away for a weekend for a retreat in the mountains by myself for yep. three days of perfect weather and, yep. and hiking and meditation mm-hmm. and, and walking so that I can be with the Eagles. Once I do that, then I'll figure out what my dream job is and then I'll start working on it. Well, the retreat right. never happened. And now, you know, it's like all these things like, you know, the, my, my perfect journal and my perfect pins and you know, whatever, it's all that stuff. I realized I had to give myself permission to start small, you know, to, to be able to say, all right, it started with research. It started to 
you know, figure some of those things out? What's something that I could Google and, and dig into and not just like scroll through your social media, but to be able to say, all right, if I want to dig into a topic, what if I really gave myself permission to dig into that topic 15 minutes a day for five days and with intentionality? Not mm-hmm. with that kind of bleh, where saliva starts coming out of the side of your mouth, scrolling that happens with social media and that kind of stuff, but with intentionality, saying, I want to I dig into these or, or I want to find this podcast and I want to listen to these types of things. So find those little places to start and then be able to grow from there um, and, and to be able to say, all right, do those experiments. Sometimes that might lead to a class. I know that was for me. I, I went and took a coaching class, uh, you know, flew out to uh, Salt Lake City and took a, a you know, three-day-long intensive. Um, that was kind of that next step for me. Then mm-hmm. it was a series of experiments. I didn't come home. I wanted to quit, but I didn't. I, I came home and said, all right, I, I'm going to start these things. I'm going to build a website. I'm going to get my first client. I'm going to build a contract. I'm going to do these things. And just kept doing those small experiments that kept adding up. It's great. It's epic. One of the questions I had too is you've written several books. Talk to, you know, one of those uh, seven sources is royalties and books is one of the main. We're not all gifted with, uh, you know, amazing voices or... Uh, <laughs> you know, incredible acting skills, but right. uh, you know, books are a great way to uh, not only market yourself, but generate some passive income. Can you just share with your listener kind of what your process has been around uh, not only writing the book, but like maybe writing a book too soon versus getting more experience or, you know what I'm trying to say there? Sure. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's weird because the, the publishing industry, as you guys know, has changed dramatically. Sure I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how much five years, let alone 10 years, has changed the publishing industry. I think, I think what we'll see in the next five years is going to blow us away even more, right? Mm. But it used to be that the process was you would get an idea for a book and then you would put together a pitch and try to get an agent. And then you would, uh, that agent, you know, you probably have to go through 30, 50 agents, all these no's, and then you finally get an agent and then that agent might pitch a publisher and then they might pitch 20, 30, 50 publishers, and you might get a yes from them. And then maybe you'll get an advance, maybe not, but then the publisher will say, okay, write this book, then we'll edit it, get it back to you, all these kinds of things. It's exhausting. Oh, exhausting, take years, you don't have much control, and then you only stand to make a very small return on that. I mean, you know, pick your favorite author, but, you know, Seth Godin, Max Licato, whoever it is, right, there's a very good chance that you go and buy their book on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or whatever, that $20 hardback book, there's a very good chance, Seth Godin's not a good example because he's high-wired the system, but uh, like any other big author, there's a very good chance of that $20 you paid, there's a good chance that only a dollar or a little bit over is going to make it to that author mm-hmm. if you went through regular publishing routes. But now through self-publishing, the world has changed, right? And, and specifically, uh, you know, you guys, I don't know if you've talked about createspace.com before, but CreateSpace is Amazon's self-publishing arm. And even that has changed. Like used to be that if you were going to self-publish, like some of the biggest books in the world started by self-publishing. Go and write a book, find a printer, buy 10,000 copies because that's what you needed to get the per, per unit price down so that you could actually sell it at a reasonable price, all of those things. And in most cases, they might sell 500 of those books, right? And you've wow. got 10,000 books sitting in your garage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now create space you can go download the template, write your book, upload it to CreateSpace, and then CreateSpace is a on-demand self-publishing arm of Amazon. So you hit publish, 
it goes up on Amazon. Um, people can buy it. And let's say it's a, you know, a paperback book. They will tell you, okay, it's $3.50 to print and ship your book. So anything you set above that is your profit that then they route into your bank account. And so what's beautiful about that is you don't have 10,000 books sitting in your garage. <laughs> and it's also one of those that to your point, Brian, let's say you write a book and six months later, you're like, oh, Judas Priest, I'm a moron. Like what I said about that, I've got to totally change that. Well, you if know, I had a dollar for every time I said that to myself. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you can then go into that book, you can revise it, update the book, and either change, you know, and say, hey, this is a revised book, which you have to have at least 20 to 25% uh, copy change in order for it to be a new title. Uh, but even if you don't want to change the title, you just say, I'm going to change that. You can download or you can pull it down upload it again and you're good to go and you don't have 10,000 books in your garage that are a misprint Brilliant. or you know, like just um, terrible whatever content or whatever. So it's, it's changed dramatically. So from the standpoint, I'm a big believer in, in writing a book. And it's interesting. I had uh, a guy named Bernie Swain. Uh, I just interviewed him yesterday. It's going to be on my podcast soon. But Bernie is the founder of the Washington Speakers Bureau, which is one of the premier speakers bureaus in the world now. Fantastic, fascinating guy. Um, but he was talking about, and this is just such a beautiful thing, but Alex Haley, the guy who wrote Roots, right? Like mm -hmm. that guy came to his office once and they were talking in his office. Like I said, this was to a, a crowd of 10,000 people, right? Something that beautiful. Nah, it's just in my office. But Alex Haley once said that when an old person dies, it's like a library's burned to the ground. Wow. Like all those That's, stories are gone, right? And, and done. So true. And I thought that, absolutely. And I thought that reason right there alone is a reason everybody should write a book. Totally agree. Right? Because like you think about like you give that book at the, at the very worst, you give that book to your family. And if it's a memoir to be able to say, this is something dad wrote, right? This mm -hmm. is, I, wish, I wish I had a book for my grandma. I wish I had a book for my grandpa. Mm -hmm. right? It's that old thing. So like everyone, especially for how, as easy as it is. Now that doesn't mean that it'll sell. Yeah. Selling it's an, a whole other thing, but even that has begun to be easier. I mean, you think about it, you know, 20 years ago, trying to sell a book, right? You would literally have to drive around the country and try to convince bookstores to stock your book. Yeah. Now, like through podcasts, talking with guys like you, right? You've got audience members all around the world, mm -hmm. right? And now that person can say, okay, you know, I hear about this Mitch sounds like a goober, but the book might be interesting. So I'm going to go to Amazon. I'm going to buy, you know, dream job redefined, right? It, I don't have to then go out and mail that book. I don't have to go deliver that to a it's book. Amazon prints it and ships it and puts money in my account. So it's, it's like a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the big thing is getting that, getting those thoughts down on paper, getting that paper uh, to upload to createspace.com and then getting some help with marketing it. But it That's really great. is a different, different world. I'm glad you went through that because I think a lot of our clients and, and admittedly we were like, we are trying to encourage people to do this. So this is, that was a good thought process to just, how does that work? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a different world. This has been so insightful, and obviously you can see why we love Mitch Matthews. How would our listeners uh, get in touch with you, hear more about you? Tell us that route. Absolutely. The best thing, just go to MitchMatthews.com. We spent our entire marketing budget coming up with that domain name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> so creative. 
brilliant. Um, so you can go to mitchmatthews.com. You'll be able to find about find out about Dream Think Do, my podcast, uh, books, my speaking, all that. But I'd love to get to know you. There's a ton, ton of free stuff on the site uh, as well. So invite people to go and check that out. So uh, I'm just honored to get to be on with you guys. You guys are doing a world of good to the world and I, I appreciate it. And it's honored to get to have a chat with you. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. If you want to hear more about us, it's www.uncommonwealthpartners. You've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. Man, Mitch, thank you so much. And Dolores, go ahead and take us on out, and we will hear and let you guys listen the next time. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, everybody. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.